Check. One, two, three, four. You ready to rock and roll, dude? Yeah, just hit record. Hey, thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. In today's podcast, I get to talk to Jay Frichty about the difference between systematic theology, biblical theology, historical theology, and practical theology. And if those terms mean nothing to you, please don't shut off the podcast. We recorded this conversation for you. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local Bro, how's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. I'm happy you're here, man. This podcast has been a long time in the making. It's been an idea that you've had for a while now. Yeah, I mean, I had to get my master's degree just to be able to get on this thing. <laughs> that's the that's the pathway, guys. That's the pipeline to getting on Worship Local. you got to get that master's or we're not giving you a mic. Oh, no. I, I totally get it. <laughs> hey, uh, everybody knows you. Everybody loves you. Um, give us one nugget of who's who's Jay Frickty. How do we how do we crack the nut of Jay Frickty? Um, I think my English teacher said it best. Uh, I've got a special place in my heart for high school English teachers, which is probably Amen. why I'm at Frontier. Amen, dude. But he said, you know, Jay, when he gets embarrassed, his face gets red and his hair gets redder. And I think <laughs> if I had a thesis from my life. Oof. That probably wouldn't be in it, but it, it would be in the outline somewhere. Oh man, that's great! <laughs> Say that once more. Uh, you know, Jay, when he gets embarrassed, his face gets red and his hair gets redder. Oh my gosh, dude! Favorite favorite book in the Bible? Favorite book in the Bible? I mean, it's low hanging fruit, but I'm gonna have to go with Romans, just because. Mm. That is Paul's magnum opus. Is that the right term? It's the right term. Sweet. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. The the decomp- decomposition of you know the world and then going to God's grace and how we then are to live. I, I'm really jacked for the sermon series that's coming up. Dude, you and me both. I'm already tearing through commentaries and I am psyched. <laughs> Man, what is this going to be? Two years? Three years? I don't know. I'm really close to hammering it out. We're we're going to try and keep it pretty tight. So I think it's going to be a little bit over a year. So it's going to be a good year. We'll see. It's going to be a great year. Hey, how uh, how's the coffee? Is it good? Oh my goodness! If uh, if uh, being a pastor does not work out, barista, that is a career (laughs) path that I could see you in, and I would I would frequent that coffee shop. (laughs) I. I would like being a barista. I'd have fun being a, bur- a barista, dude. I think I could do it. I, that is a high goal that you are setting for yourself. Steep, <laughs> steep learning curve, but um, yeah, I think, I think it'd be fun. Um, let's do one more. All right. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. Cidade de Deus. That is Portuguese for City of God. It is about... It's not about the, the book by... Is Augustine? Or, yeah, it's Augustine, right? The real yep. city of God. Yep. Um, no, it's about a favela in Brazil. And mm. it's, oh my goodness. It's the narration of poverty and how crime exists within a system. And it's just a really, really great story to not watch with your kids because there's a lot of violence and mm. other stuff. But 
a good one to i don't think i can recommend it it's very r-rated okay yeah no i find myself doing that a lot as a pastor i'm like there's this great movie and it totally reminded me of jesus but you shouldn't watch it because it's (laughs) r-rated unless you have the ability to you know sift through some of those things and not align yourself with some of the bad things that you see in there so i i know i totally understand where you're at hey i'm excited to talk systematic biblical historical and practical theology um just one more before we do all right habakkuk how'd you like the sermon series i loved it cool it's i don't know i was talking to someone at my uh, my home church the other week and she was just like hey we live in a christian nation and god's going to help us and it's going to be great and i was like really let's let's talk about this because when you look to the, the story of the bible you see things mm-hmm. like habakkuk where god said yes you are a chosen nation but we're going to do something i'm going to do something that doesn't seem great. That that is painful. That is hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And you guys are going to be taken and oppressed by the nation of Babylon. That I think that's just some thinking that we really, really need to to emphasize and to to contemplate because uh, falling Christ doesn't mean earthly blessings. Mm-hmm. It's not about the right. here and now. And I think Habakkuk really really gives us kind of a movie trailer into what that life was going to look like for Israel um, during their exile. One more question. All right. Favorite non-biblical book? It can be fiction, it can be non-fiction, whatever you want. Oh, man. You really hit me over the head with this one. I know, I know. I just keep on hammering you with questions, <laughs> dude. So, I'll say right now I'm reading... Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and I really, really like it. Is that the last one? That's the last one. Okay, cool. So something I like to do, which I don't know why, whenever there's a long series of something, I don't want to read the last book or the last chapter. I want to think of all the possible endings before I can um, come to what the author said. So I've got to live for, I don't know, that book came out in I'm going to say 2010, 2011, somewhere in that time frame. Yeah, yeah. I've got to live for 11 years just imagining what Harry Potter could have turned into and what it could have been. And now I'm finally going to submit to what J.K. Rowling says it's going to be. (laughs) Don't spoil, man. Chloe and I are in the third book, right? Well, we're about to finish the third book right now, so it's been wild. One of the best. Yeah, it's it's been wild. Um, I do have to say, though, I had one of these epic moments. Do you know when, um, man, I have not done a good job following along with the third one, so forgive me when I say it. Okay. Okay. Um, but you know that moment where they figure out that the rat? Oh. Scabbers? Yep. Is actually that wizard? Okay, when when we were listening to the audiobook, and it said, um, and it said, Harry, that's not a rat. And I yelled, he's a wizard! And the very next line was, he's a wizard. And I like ran around the house, like did victory laps. I was like, I called it, I prophesied. Too good, too good. Uh, Um, Spoiler alert for anyone who's an ex post facto. Yeah, sorry, sorry. It's still still good narrative if I spoil it for you. Um, 
Dude, how, is there a reason why you became passionate about different disciplines and systems of theology? Yeah, so here I was at the end of Theology 2 in, in uh, uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was taking that through Cornerstone in Ames. And we're learning all these cool topics and stuff, and then the professor, as the last part of the class, is just like, so guys, a lot of people would think that you were cheated, just by learning that going directly into systematic theology, the the more common path is going from uh, biblical theology to historical theology to then systematic theology, and then you just kind of left it at that. I was like, oh, mm. that's cool. Mm. So I love that class, but then it was like, wow, how how do we get to this point where we're learning different doctrines on different subjects and then categorizing them, and that's kind of what took me back a step to being more focused on biblical theology than just learning a topic and having a vocabulary word and, you know, being able to to talk with the boys and be like, oh, yeah, I know about uh, all the doctrines of grace and all the um, mm-hmm. superlapsarian and uh, I'm pre-mill and you're post-mill and this dude's a-mill, you know. Yeah, yeah. Dude, so I, I have a story, too. Oh, please. I do, yeah. So it was during my first Acts 29 um, assessment. And uh, I went into that assessment, and I was I was fully capable of articulating the gospel. I was fully capable of articulating penal substitutionary atonement. I was fully capable of articulating the doctrines of Calvinism and predestination and why I was a-mill and how that impacted the way that I viewed ministry. So I was fully capable of all of these of, of, of having great conversations about topics within the Bible. Of course. And then my assessor said, for somebody who doesn't know the Bible, how would you tell the entire story from front to back cover? Ooh. And I stumbled around my <laughs> answer and meandered and didn't really know exactly how. And then I thought, what is that gap in my knowledge called? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I understand systematic theology, but there's a gap in my knowledge between systematic theology and what's called biblical theology. So that was the first time I started to become passionate about like, oh, are there other ways of organizing information in the Bible? Yeah, it's kind of crazy because systematic theology, it is very costly to get there. Like we are standing on the shoulder of giants, but it's pretty cheap for us to get there if we want to. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can just type in what is Calvinism on the Google? And there's the answers. Oh, we got the tulip. We've got canons of Dort. We've got this and that. But biblical theology, I mean, we can understand the system to get there, but it's so much just having to army crawl through scripture to really dissect those themes. Yeah. Would it, would it be helpful right now? And it's okay if the answer is no. Would it be helpful to differentiate and define our terms between systematic, biblical, historical, and practical? For sure. Sweet. Let, let's do that because I imagine being a listener right now who's like not exactly familiar with all these terms and just thinking like, okay, what exactly do these what, what do these terms mean? Yeah. So, kind of researching for this podcast, I was uh, looking up a few different definitions that we've gotten from people. So one is Gerhardus Voss. 
who was a Dutch American Calvinist. Um, one of the, I, I, that was one of my top ten names for a kid as a joke. I was like, babe, what about Gearhardus Voss? <laughs> I'm <laughs> sure that know. conversation was colorful. Yeah, you gotta know. You gotta know, obviously. So he taught at Princeton, and he was alive in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Um, and he said, biblical theology is the branch of exegetical theology, which deals with the process of self-revelation of God deposited in the Bible. Then we can look at D.A. Carson. says, biblical theology seeks to uncover and articulate the unity of all the biblical texts taken together, resorting primarily to the categories of those texts themselves. Hmm. And the last one I got was Stephen Wellum. It says, biblical theology contends that to read the Bible as unified scripture is not just one interpretive option among others, but that which best corresponds to the nature of the text itself, given its divine inspiration. As such, biblical theology as a discipline not only provides the basis for understanding how texts in one part of scripture relate to all other texts, but it also serves as the basis and underpinning for all theologizing. Theologizing. That is the word, yes. Theologizing Ising. Yeah, no, that's a tough one. It's a tough one. We can do. So, all that to say, there's, there's three quotes, you know, people much smarter than I who are talking about it. I would say that it is looking at the different parts and the different scriptures uh, within the Bible and making a unified understanding of God as he reveals himself through scripture. Would you add, subtract, or what would you say with that definition? Yeah, I think that's good, man. Um, an analogy that I would use is it feels like you're looking at one point on an entire mountain range and then stepping back to see how that one point is connected to the entire mountain range. Mm. So you see the Bible as one unified story and you ask the question, how did we get here? Wherever that point is. It's like an analogy, right? Yeah. Is that what you'd say? Well, the wheels are turning right now. I'm kind of looking at it as like, it's the car engine. It's what gives us focus and power to go forward. Mm. But it's not, it's not the wheels. It's not the, the car's seats or the steering wheel. I would say that's more the systematic theology. Well, let's do that one then. All right. How would you, how would you define systematic theology then? Systematic theology that I'm, I'm going to quote frame because smart dude, the yeah. application of God's word by persons to all areas of life. So... Hmm. When you open up a systematic theology, the systematician, the person who wrote it, is usually going to decompose things into topics. So, Wayne right. Grudem is one that I think a lot of people would be familiar with. Uh, he's a great intro to things, and he would look at, what is the Bible? How can we know that the Bible's true? How can we know that the canon of scripture is closed, that we have the right books in there? Now, who is God? Theology proper. Uh, who is man? Who is what are angels? What are the end times? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So it's in my car analogy, it's like Wayne Grudem, when he wrote that, he had a great understanding of the Bible and then he wanted to decompose it into topics. So like theology of man, how does psychology, how does 
anthropology? How do these different disciplines correlate with the Bible? Um, how can we redeem them? And how can we understand things better because of our biblical theology that translates into a doctrine which um, is a part of the systematic theology? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It's, it's almost like you treat topics of the Bible like little buckets. Yes. And then you fill with all the, like, you get all the flowers you can in the Bible about that topic, and then we fill it and we look at it as a unified whole. Like, one example of this would be if you wanted a systematic understanding of predestination, you would read Romans 8.29, and you would say, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son of God. And you're like, ooh, what's that? What does the Bible say about predestination? Well, mm-hmm. Paul says this in in Colossians, but also Jesus seems to say this in John six. But also the Old Testament talks about this other thing that's kind of like predestination. That's called election. And so you look at what the Bible says as a unified whole about one topic, right? Yeah, so like you, you so have harmonize and use the bible to interpret the bible right in many cases yeah but you treat it like a system or a topic yeah so you're gathering all the information so it i guess it would be inductive of the bible like you're putting everything together to make one unified topic on something yeah yeah that's right so how would you approach uh predestination from a biblical theology standpoint or can you yeah, yeah, I think I think you can. I think you can. Um, what I what I would do immediately is since we're since we're trying to see what the entire narrative of the text teaches it, I would look at God's sovereign choice of Israel in the Old Testament and then start to draw that theme out and start to think, okay, what did it mean for God to choose this people in that context for this purpose? Okay, do we have some story examples in here about what it looks like to? to be faithful to what it means to be predestined and then oh is that what paul's picking up on when Mm -hmm. it comes over here yeah no i like that yeah yeah so then what about like the historical what's the difference between historical theology and systematic theology you go on that one oh i was hoping you came with your definitions right (laughs) um i'm gonna say i like this one yeah yeah historical theology is doctrines and systematic theologies from authors who are dead. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put a period on that. Or authors that can't write anymore for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so as soon as you die, as soon as you can't make edits on any of your work, I think your work becomes historical theology. But it's it's cool because it's how did an individual in a certain culture in a certain time frame uh, confront the issues of their day? So if we look at the yeah, beginning of church yeah. history, it's like people were dying for the deity of christ and Mm -hmm. that's kind of just an assumption or subtext in a lot of our um christian walk today oh yeah uh christ is fully god and fully man and you know we we've got that kind of down pat but it's really cool to see what our church fathers did for that certain theology that certain doctrine Right. So that we can stand on the shoulder of giants. Right. And then I think it also gives us kind of this view into the current day that maybe things aren't as bad as we perceive. Like Luther, when he translated the Bible, there was a pandemic that was much worse than COVID. Uh, There was oppression from the Catholic Church. 
you know, he was in exile. He was uh, living like a false identity as Junker George in hmm. in the Wittenberg Castle. And if I have anything wrong in this history, I'm sure Luke Snowden will comment on the, the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but but we get to see how Christians before us lived in a certain way and confronted certain ideas, and I think that's immensely valuable. So yeah. yeah. So before I was thinking that. Biblical theology decomposes into historical theology, and that decomposes into systematic theology as we stand on the shoulders of giants. But now I'm thinking that biblical theology is at the top, and then there's two branches that come out, and it's historical theology and systematic theology. Do you like that metaphor? Or Yeah, I think it's helpful because historical theology operates kind of as a as a cousin system to systematic theology. Mm-hmm. So in the Romans eight twenty nine example, where we look at the word predestination, the systematic approach is to say, what's Paul think about this? What do other New Testament writers think about this? Did Moses think anything about it in the Pentateuch? What do the prophets think about this? Of course. That's systematic theology. You're doing almost that same thing with historical theology but through different seasons of history. So I take that word, again, predestination, and think, okay, what did the early church think about this? Okay, what did the medieval period think about Mm -hmm. this? Okay, what did the early reformers think about this? What did the Anabaptists think about this? What did the Puritans think about this? Why is this not that big of a deal right now? And then why did certain groups break off from that? Right, yeah. Yeah, what... I mean... Almost, and I haven't really thought of this statement too much, so it could be wrong, but I think usually when we find an incorrect doctrine, it's an, emphasis, an overemphasis on one part of God that, that is not being harmonized with Scripture. So hmm. if you look at, uh, at um, Arminianism, which I would say is false, that God does not choose us or predestine us, um, people are overemphasizing the love of God and how they would love that same person in this category, or in this, um, if they were God. They would say, I'm going to allow them to choose. I'm not, unless I'm saving everyone, I'm going to allow people to choose whether they love God or not. And do you, do you kind of see where I'm getting at? And do you agree or disagree? Yeah, because the way that I'd usually, I, I haven't thought of it in those terms. What I've thought of is it's a wrong definition of love. Mm-hmm. But the reason why it's a wrong definition of love is because of what you're saying, like the, the overemphasis of love. And so in that case, in, in, in that case, it's um, how do I would phrase this? Because in my context, love means allowing the individual to choose whatever is most deeply in accordance with their truest authentic self, mm-hmm. then God's love must be like that as well. Therefore, the Reformed tradition can't be true because it says that God chooses us according to His will and not our wills, and that's not love. And then that, when you take that level up, it's a improper understanding of the full framework of Scripture or a bad biblical theology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess I'm I'm living in a postmodern era, but I'm not a postmodern thinker, so I'm like, yeah, that has nothing to do with love at all. Mm-hmm. We need to be dragged kicking and screaming to what's best for us, regardless of our will. And that's love. And I know that is apparent. <laughs> it, would oh, not be, yep. it would not be loving 
for me to allow Della to only have her diaper changed when she willed it to be changed. Or to make the choice to throw that toaster into the bathtub. Right. Toasters right, are yeah. fun. I understand. Yeah. But they're not a bathtub toy. Yeah. I had to learn that one the hard way, too. And none, none, of, our, none of our truest experiences of love are the result of our own willpower. None of them. Like, I, like when I first laid eyes on Chloe, I didn't consult my willpower and say, the most noble and virtuous thing for me to do would be to find her attractive. Mm. No. Like, I saw her, and I was taken captive against my will, regardless of what I wanted to think otherwise. I was dragged oh, kicking and screaming into that <laughs> experience of love. You know, I, just, I no, I like that. Yeah. I, I've never heard that metaphor before. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm sure. Like, I've never met anybody who's been like, yeah. It's had to do a lot of calculations as to whether or not I should experience positive emotions about my spouse, and then I made the right choice. It's like, no, dude, you are swept off your feet. Yep. Oh no, exactly. So, question for you, Pastor. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Whenever it prefaces that way, I'm like, oh no, act confused, Cole. Look confused. If I if I came up to you, I'm new at Frontier, and I'm like, hey, you're using some big words. I'm a little confused. Like, I get that that might be the basic understanding for the church member here, but where do I start? I don't know theology. All I know is that <clears throat> I think I'm a Christian. What would you say to that person? I would say, well, I would pastor them first before I give them counsel. So on a pastoral level, I'd be like, hey, that means you're in the right place, not the wrong place. So like at a pastoral level, don't beat yourself up because you walk away not knowing exactly what was said in every sermon. Um, that, that's not an indicator that you're in the wrong place. That's an indicator that you're in the arena. You're being challenged. You're going you're gonna to sweat. You're going to shed some blood here. That's great. So I'm psyched that you feel that way. On a practical level... I, I would just defer to one of our communities. I'd say mm-hmm. get into a fighter group or get into a community group and then ask somebody who can devote time to discipling you that question. I like that. I, I think a lot of people want to put the emphasis on the pastor to be the, like, the, the one unique individual who is discipling them, but I like how Frontier does make that more of a personal connection within the community of the church. Mm-hmm. So yeah. for those of you that don't go to the church, there's um, let's go from the bottom up. So fighter group, that mm-hmm. would be a small group of uh, same-sex individuals who meet weekly, bi-weekly, whatever. And that is where you, how do you say it? You go deep? Yeah, yeah. Yep, you go deep. You're, you're talking about sin issues in life and how the, the Bible reading plan that we're going through right now is affecting you and what you're seeing. Community group, that's where... We're examining what the Sunday preaching was. Um, wow, what's that one? You go deep at fighter group. You go... I'd say uh, um, wide. Wide. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm going the reverse order that Cole yeah. usually goes. So <laughs> <laughs> It's like trying to do the alphabet backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But where you go wide. So you're really discussing kind of the biblical theology that you discovered during that week's preaching, and you're doing that within community. And then um, at church, that's that Sunday gathering, that's the one that we all know and love. That's where we're hearing the word of God being preached to us, and we're getting a framework for the biblical theology 
sometimes the historical theology and sometimes the um, systematic theology that mm-hmm. may come up because of the given text. Yeah, yeah, we, I, I think we do them all. I, I hope, I hope that when people hear about these disciplines, they're like, oh, that's why. Even though all the pastors agree on everything, that's why some sermons feel different than others. Mm-hmm. Some feel like this unified story. Others feel kind of like textbook, and then others feel kind of like a historical examination. Like, uh, hopefully, people are like, "Yeah, I get it." Yeah, no, I, I definitely see that while I'm sitting in the the congregation, where it's like, okay, Luke will get up there, and this will be very, very academic. And mm-hmm. I mean, that dude is practically a professor, and then he's the man. He's yeah. the man. I've got nothing to say or nothing bad to say about any of the preachers of Frontier. Oh, I do. <laughs> That's a different podcast. <laughs> but yeah, and I mean, like, a big thing is when you're new in the church, it's scary. It's really scary because yeah. you're going to be hearing these words and you're going to be, you know, people probably unknowingly are going to be talking about topics that you can't even comprehend at a certain point. Like, the first time... I'm, I'm sure Cole and I both have stories about the first time we heard about God predestining people. And it was yeah, just like, yeah. this is scary. I don't like this. Why Why do I not have a choice in this? Why is there no will? Why, why does it not depend on my actions? And that is scary. But know that not knowing is not a reason to be discouraged. Mm-hmm. But... You shouldn't look at yourself today and say, all right, I can go with this throughout my entire life. The Spirit is sanctifying us and is working on us. So if you're someone who knows a lot, strive to be a person who builds up rather than is puffed up in their knowledge. And if you don't know, don't be discouraged about that. But focus on the scriptures, focus on the preaching, and, you know, follow, try to grow in knowledge of Christ, because that is yeah, where yeah. we find joy. Would you say? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. Um, and, and again, a lot of that comes back to... So here's one thing I would say. This came to mind when you were sharing, when you were kind of exhorting our church right there to like, hey, if this is if this is like new to you and if this is challenging you, great, press in. Um, I one time had a church planting coach say to me, <laughs> Cole, you have the smallest tolerance for negative emotions out of anybody I've ever met. (laughs) And uh, I think he was right. And my encouragement to our church would be to not be like Cole, to not be like me, and to have a huge tolerance for negative emotion. When you have a huge tolerance for negative emotion, you can bump into hard truths about the Bible and not think, I don't want to be here anymore. If you have a huge tolerance for negative emotion, you can bump into discipleship relationships where you're like, I don't like what you just said to me. And you don't have to run because you have a huge tolerance for negative emotion. If you have a huge tolerance for negative emotion, you can show up on Sunday mornings, you can listen to a sermon that was over your head, and you can think, you know what, I, I didn't get that, but I'm going to get back on the horse, I'm going to try again, and I'm going to keep growing. And if you have a small tolerance for negative emotion, then you bump into any one of those scenarios and then you're just, well, I don't fit in here. I'm gone. And I don't want that to happen. You know, it reminds me of something I heard at work training. 
uh, the statement "Stay stupid longer." It was a oh, really good yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't know. You can get to the point where it's like. Uh, before this, we were talking, and Cole was like, "Yeah," and I was at this church, and they're doing narrative preaching, and then I was just like, "Oh yeah, that that sounds okay." And then I, I just had to stop and be like, all right, what's narrative preaching? I don't know what that is. I know topical. I know exegetical. Even mm-hmm. though I have my master's degree now, I have this piece of paper that claims I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. I could sound it out, but I don't know. So by asking him, I got to see what it actually is, which is telling stories and using that as your main backing in a sermon. Um but it helps because then the assumption about what I thought it was, which wasn't right, doesn't have to live on in my mind, and we can have the conversation. I don't think Cole thought any less of me after asking the question. Did you? Confess to me now if you thought less of me. So here's, here's an awesome confession, dude, is that <laughs> I'm a voracious reader and a voracious learner. Like, my appetite for learning is just, it's, it's just really big. Um, and so that means that I also have the tendency to learn words and pick up on words and adapt words before I even really know their usage. And so mm-hmm. sometimes people will say, Cole, I don't know what that word means that you just used. What does it mean? And I go, uh-oh, I haven't fully unpacked it either. Bro, I just picked it up in conversation listening to a podcast. Let's learn this together. And so that's a great question to ask people. I don't know what you're talking about. Can you break that down for me? Mm-hmm. It's really helpful, and um, it's really helpful because Frontier sees itself as a learning community and not a therapeutic community. Mm-hmm. So, we're not a therapeutic community, like regardless of what the year twenty twenty one tells us we need to be, we're not a community that you you get you come on Sunday mornings and we exist primarily for the therapeutic goal of making you feel good and affirming everything that you already knew. Mm-hmm. We're a learning community. So when you come on Sunday mornings, expect to be challenged and to grow. I, I expect to be challenged and to grow, and, and I'm one of the leaders in this community. So yeah. it's a good distinction. You know, I'm just thinking like humility with godliness is great gain. And learning, learning happens because we're not there yet. It happens because we're being formed. And it's a good thing to press into that, like you were saying. Like one time... I remember I was out on a camping trip with the boys, and they were all very smart people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to look cool to people. So I'm like, well, you know, as dispensationalists, we should all be thinking this and this. Not expecting anyone to know what dispensationalism meant, because I didn't know what it meant. But I knew it was a big word. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the guys said... I don't know if I'm sold on dispensationalism. And I just felt like a fool. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and you repented and said, you know what, dude? I'm actually I'm into covenant theology now. I, I had to go to the bathroom <laughs> right at that moment. It was... no. Are it you was, still a dispensationalist? I, I'm not a dispensationalist okay. right now. I'm. You were about to blow my mind there. I Yeah, I'm... I don't know what I am when it comes to eschatology. When I look, when I read the news, I'm pre-millennial. When <laughs> I uh, get frustrated with the news, I'm amillennial. And when I want to be optimistic, I'm post-millennial. 
<laughs> and if you don't understand what those words mean, I envy you. It, yeah, you then you've got one leg up on people who pretend to know what those words mean. Yep. Have you ever heard the phrase, um, the saying, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room? No, I haven't, but... It's a great one, right? Yeah, it is. And this conversation is making me think, if you're in a room where you never think, what's that mean? You're probably in the wrong room. Too think, easy for you. Yeah, that's a good place to be. Um, it's like... You're the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Um, I think Paul says, bad company corrupts good morals. Mm-hmm. Like there, There's a lot of wisdom, biblical and outside of the Bible, that relates to who you spend time with. So I, I like that. All that to say, I like the, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Yeah, yeah. Which is great, because I'm like, I'm never the smartest person in the room, so I feel like I'm in a great spot. I'm always around people who I'm like... Whoa, I want a pastor more like you. Or like, whoa, I want to be able to speak to people more like you. So, yeah. Dude, I love your passion for the different disciplines of theology. Is there anything else like on your mind or heart you want to talk about when you're thinking about systematic, biblical, historical, and practical theology? Oh, I guess we never really define practical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, go for it. So, practical is what I'd say where the rubber meets the road. So, I know what the Bible says. I can categorize what the Bible says into certain doctrines and categories. I see what my church fathers have believed before me. Now, what do I do about it? Mm-hmm. So, let's say marriage. Um, in a biblical theology standpoint, we can look at an overarching theme of Jesus being married to the church, and that's our framework for marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a historical um, interpretation of marriage, we can see be interesting. We can see a lot of different practices, right? Like yeah, uh, prearranged marriage. Um, it, I think it was frowned upon kind of in the early, well, especially with the Catholic Church. And then you look at like Calvin's relationship with his wife, and it was not great. No. That's a discouraging one. But then you look at Luther and oh, what's what's her name? Hilda von... His wife. So, yeah, something like that. She was wild, too. She was wild, but that was a beautiful relationship. It was, yeah, that was cool. And then, but you see all these different interpretations of what marriage looks like, and then uh, you have this biblical understanding, a system of doctrine, okay, it's man and woman for life, you know, all these things that we say in our vows. So practically, should we all be getting prearranged marriages? Should should my parents have been the one to choose my wife? That would have been hard because they never traveled to Brazil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, was dating correct? Or should we... You know, there's like a lot of questions on yeah, how it applies are. today because of new technologies like the airplane, um, like Skype that made it possible to actually communicate with her, that um, make our practicality, I think, have to change given certain circumstances, but change is a scary word there. Yeah. Oh, how am I trying to say this? So... We keep scratching. I'm, I'm all right. 
So we have a given set of rules. There's constants and variables, I guess you'd say. So the constant would be man and woman for life, um, biblical covenant, you know, what we can mm -hmm. go through for marriage. Mm -hmm. But there's different realities given our place in history. And those are the variables. So as long as we, we can play with the variables to make things fun, but the constants have to remain. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's right. I think, yeah, I'm with you there. And the Bible's really good on the constants. Yeah. And sometimes really quiet on the variables, which is why when you do historic theology on something like marriage, you see a lot of differences in variables. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... I, I like the the variables because I think it kind of speaks back to Genesis where we were formed, where it's like, subdue the creation. We get to have creativity in how we worship God, given we're following the variables correctly. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's worship good. is a good word to end on because... At the end of the day, all these different types of theology should be leading you to a deeper sense of worship. Would you mm -hmm. agree? Or Yeah, if it's not leading you to a deep, deeper sense of worship, hit the panic alarm and spend a lot of time praying, thinking, and contemplating. Mm. Yeah. Lots of times so, it does for me. Lots of yeah, times it does. No. Like, lots, of times, lots of times I order a book, not on the basis of, is this going to help me worship Jesus more, but on the basis of, is this going to give me the right talking points? Ooh. Cole, hit the right alarm when you do that, bro. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, can worship be like a... How, let's say you learn a theology that's... Or a doctrine that's hard to stomach. Do you think that that can be a form of worship, too? So, let's go back to predestination. It's an easy one. Yeah. It's an easy one. I'm learning this, and I'm looking at my family members, and I'm saying... Was this person not predestined? This is sad. This is hard for me to take in. And I have to wrestle with God about this. Do you think that that's worship? Yes. I do. I do think that that's worship. And um, even if it's not present worship, it is the guarantee of future worship. Mm. To wrestle with God in the present time is to guarantee future worship if you're a follower of God. Beautiful. It's coming. It's coming, dude. Like, yeah. I did, like, since we're on the topic of Calvinism, it's just an easy one to discuss, guys, when you're talking about historic, biblical, practical, and systematic theology. Um, but that, for me, was about nine to ten months of a lot of cussing and a lot of crying and some sleepless nights and a lot of angry conversations before it became a topic of worship for me. Yeah. So again, it comes back to having a huge capacity for negative emotion. Mm -hmm. Like be able to still press in because whatever is right about the nature of God will ultimately cause you to worship. Ooh, I like that. That that's yeah. a good statement. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can ultimately know that God is good and that He is worthy of worship. So. Truth should never scare us, even though it might hurt in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't run away from it, though. Stay in the octagon. Stay in the octagon. Duke it out. I didn't hear no bell. 
I didn't hear no bell. Yes. Using that phrase. Wow, that, that's loaded. That says a lot. Yeah. So, well, as we look at these topics, anything you want the church to know? No. Even if you're at the end of this podcast, guys, I'm just going to keep on ringing this. I'm going to keep on ringing the same bell that we've been ringing this whole podcast, which is even if you're at the end of the podcast right now and you're like, man, if you gave me a piece of paper and four blanks, I don't even know if I could write down the four titles that you guys talked about. That's okay. (laughs) Like, it really is. Like, keep pressing in. Don't give up. I ain't hear no bell. All right. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, man? Do you have a note of encouragement you want to end on? I'd say it is a journey, and as long as you're going forward, that's that's the right direction. It's not always going to be as fast as you want, but Mm -hmm. but it's our our spiritual formation isn't totally dependent on us. It is dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit. As long as you are a Christian, so. That's that's why I want people to know that knowledge will come as we press into the disciplines, but the spirit of the disciplines is that the Holy Spirit is behind it. So this is not a something that depends on human will. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word. Um dude, if if people are interested though at understanding different disciplines like this of theology, is it cool if I just said, let's say, hey, send him, send him Jay's way? I I would say go to better people in the church for this, like Casey Canoe or Luke Snowden. But I mean, I would... <laughs> <laughs> so do that if, if you're if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I want to know a little bit more, go reach out to Jay. He'll he'll buy you coffee or he'll send you to Luke. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yep, I I love to entertain these conversations. It's good stuff. And I love you guys. I love this church. And I'd be happy to serve it in this way Mm -hmm. as my limited capacity allows me to. Love you, bro. Thanks for doing this podcast, man. Oh, my pleasure. This was good. Good, good. Well, Frontier Church, we love you. And we hope that this podcast helps you follow Jesus and worship local. It was fun, bro.